1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. You may notice we sort of are going to be skipping over the first five verses of chapter 2 because we're going to uh, look at those in depth on Sunday. But last time, last Sunday, we met God's odd squad in Corinth. Look back with me at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 26. This explains it pretty well. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians who are enamored with um, the wisdom, the worldly wisdom that's around them in Corinth. And he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. In Corinth, they were infatuated with worldly wisdom. Paul is basically saying, look, that's not how it works. That's not how God works. He doesn't use, typically, he doesn't use the wise, the mighty, the noble. Occasionally, yes, but not on the average. He uses, usually, Paul says, the foolish, the weak, the lowlifes. See? He uses the foolish, the weak, the low-born not the noble, Paul says, just like you guys. That's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. In other words, Paul's saying, look, you were no great catch for God. You, are, you were, you are the foolish, the weak, the riffraff that people look down on in Corinth. And yet, God uses you. We are God's odd squad. God doesn't do it the way we would do it. I mean, if, if I was going to pick a squad to go out and proclaim Doug's praises, not, not a good idea, but if I was, I'd pick a people, you know, people with a lot of natural talent, big, biggest, boldest, brightest stars. God doesn't do that. He doesn't often use shining stars. He uses dim bulbs like us. The reason we saw it Sunday is so that he gets the glory. If he can do an amazing work through somebody like me, he gets the glory. If he can use, and we saw this on Sunday as well, what he does is he uses nobodies to turn somebodies into nobodies so that he can use them and make them somebodies. We are God's odd squad. Chapter 2, we're going to see here that Paul uses himself as an example of this principle. He, he uses himself as an example of how God works best so often through simplicity. There's a whole message here in verses 1 through 5. So for tonight, we're just going to read through verses 1 through 5, and we're going to go on. We're going to come back and look at it in depth on Sunday. Let me read for you. Verse 1, Paul, using himself as an example now, says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear. And in much trembling and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's good stuff. There in five verses, really, we see Paul's whole approach to evangelism in Corinth. Basically, it was the cross, nothing but the cross. There were no fancy words, no sophistry, no highfalutin language that Paul used in Corinth. It was just Christ and him crucified. He didn't use any great wisdom. But lest you begin to think that there's no room for wisdom in Christianity, 
Look with me now at verse 6. However, Paul says, we, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. See, it's not that Paul was not capable of eloquent educated speaking. It's not that Paul didn't understand wisdom. It's not that there wasn't a place for wisdom in his teaching, but he specifically steered away from all of the heady knowledge when he came to Corinth. Beginning in verse six, though, he says there is a place for wisdom in Christianity. But did you see there's two important qualifiers for the use of wisdom? Paul says, look, I didn't use wisdom when when I came to bring you to Christ. He says, but I do use wisdom. Two important qualifiers. You see them? The first is the kind of hearer. Paul doesn't use highfalutin language, doesn't use major uh, examples of great wisdom, except for a certain kind of hearer. And the second qualifier is the kind of wisdom. First, let's talk about the kind of hearer. Follow with me. Verse 6. He says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Paul says, look, and remember, one of the criticisms of Paul was that he wasn't fancy. I mean, in Corinth, man, Apollos got a lot of of followers because he was eloquent. He was uh, versed in all of the things that, that actually Paul was too. But Paul chose not to use these things. Paul says, I do speak wisdom, but only to those who are mature spiritually. Now, that that eliminates two complete audiences. If you're going to only speak wisdom to those who are spiritually mature, that, that eliminates two audiences. Can we agree? To be mature, first you have to be born. And second, you have to be grown up. So Paul didn't use this wisdom with unbelievers because they weren't born. They weren't born again. I happened to have sung to both of my boys while they were in the womb. But I never went over quantum physics with them. Crazy. It was actually 106 years ago today, December 14th, 1900, that Max Planck first brought out the theory of quantum physics. Now, they wouldn't understand if I shared with them the theories of quantum physics. And I wouldn't either. But if I did understand it, I wouldn't share it with an unborn child. So Paul says, okay, I'm not going to share this wisdom that I have with someone who's not even born yet, born again. But also... Paul didn't use this wisdom with immature believers. Not only do you have to be born, but you have to be grown up. Again, my boys now are two years old and six years old with autism. They don't get quantum physics yet. They don't understand. Well, they don't understand music theory. That is something I actually understand. I understand music theory, but I haven't shared that with them. They're immature. In that regard, they don't understand things like freedom. They don't understand things like bravery yet. They don't understand things like temptation yet. Well, they sort of do. They're getting that. There's a lot of abstract concepts that they don't get because they are immature. So we don't talk about them yet. 
See, Paul again was being criticized for not using philosophy, rhetoric, ornate speech, high-flying theology in Corinth. And his response basically is, look, I only have mature discussions with mature believers. He's saying, you guys are babes in Christ. Turn with me to chapter 3, just a page over. Chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you are not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. He says, for you're still carnal. For where, are, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? See what Paul's saying? He says, look, I, I, I can't use words of great wisdom with you because, he's speaking to the Corinthians, because you're immature spiritually. Here's a question. I wonder what deep thing the Lord wants to share with me but he can't because in whatever area I'm like Peter Pan and I refuse to grow up. What about you? Paul mentions in chapter 3 there, he mentions three things that are easy to identify. He says envy, strife, divisions. Those are just three examples that basically say to God, oh, he's still too immature for this particular job. He's still not grown up enough for this particular assignment, this blessing that I want to give him. And, And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Let me ask you a more general question, gather more of you up. What is it in your life that you won't give up? That like a security blanket, you cling to. That is saying to the Lord, the Lord shakes his head and says, just not ready. They're not ready yet. What, what sin do you cling to when God has so much more for you? What step do you refuse to take that's keeping you from the path that God has for you? Here's another thing I've noticed about kids. Even if you wanted to have a mature discussion with them, they don't sit still long enough. What about you? When was the last time you sat still with your father? He wants to have deep discussions with us. He wants to minister to us as mature believers. Mature people know how to sit down and have a discussion, a dialogue. But so often it's really hard to have a dialogue with someone when they won't sit down with you. Two qualifiers for Paul's use of wisdom. He says, number one, the kind of hearer. But number two, the kind of wisdom. And that's what we're going to be looking at the rest of the chapter here. Verse six again. This is a kind of wisdom. It's a different kind than what the Corinthians were looking for. Paul says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God. Paul says, first, look, we don't use wisdom with the unborn nor with babes. We do use wisdom with mature, with mature people. But even then, it's not the wisdom of this age. 
It's not worldly wisdom. It's not man's wisdom. No, it is the wisdom of God. You guys know the difference, right? I mean, that's what we've been looking at for the last few times is the difference, the amazing difference between what God calls wisdom and what man calls wisdom. Here's a few examples. The wisdom of this age, the stuff that Paul says I'm not going to use. Wisdom of this age says things like this. Look out for number one. That's, that is wisdom in today's age. The wisdom of God says, take up your cross daily. That's not wisdom in today's marketplace. The wisdom of this age says, God helps those who help themselves. Sometimes people even think that's in the Bible. That's the wisdom of this age. The wisdom of God says, no, God helps the utterly helpless and those who know it. The wisdom of this age says, hey, what you need is just more self-esteem. The wisdom of God says, no, what you need is to esteem God more highly. See, the rest of this chapter, verses 6 through 16, Paul's going to compare and contrast the wisdom of this age and its followers, those who follow this, and the wisdom of God and his followers. The two wisdoms and their followers. We're going to see why one can't understand the other and the one does get it and the other one doesn't. Comparing and contrasting. He says, the middle of verse 6, he says, Yet not the wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age the first thing we see to compare and contrast is where these different wisdoms take you. Let me start again. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. The wisdom of this age, all of the typical wisdom that, that I just referred to, the wisdom of this age and those who follow it are coming to nothing. We actually saw that on Sunday, didn't we? Chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, let me read it to you again. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, here it is, to bring to nothing the things that are. All of the worldly wisdom, all the stuff that the world calls wisdom will come to nothing. Every philosophy in the world that doesn't match up with God's wisdom, including look out for number one, every philosophy will drop silent to the floor at the feet of Christ. He didn't look out for number one. I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he didn't listen to the worldly wisdom. Everyone who buys into the wisdom of the world will also Paul says, come to nothing. That's where the wisdom of man, the wisdom of the world leads. It comes to nothing. But look where the wisdom of God leads. Verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. The wisdom of the age of the world leads to nothing. The wisdom of God leads to our glory, the wisdom of God, all the Christian ideals, all the different stuff that that is backwards from the world. Right. Take up the cross and and uh, deny thyself and follow me. All those things that currently bring us ridicule, that currently make people think that we're odd, 
God set up all of that wisdom long ago for our glory. The wisdom of the age brings its followers to nothing. The wisdom of God brings its followers to glory. Now, let's back up a bit. We can get tripped up by that word mystery. See that word mystery? We need to understand that word. Typically, when we see that word, we think of a whodunit. We think of some mystery that we can't understand. But in the New Testament, every time you see that word mysterion, it doesn't mean unknowable. What it means is previously unknowable, but now it's known by the initiated. Like, like a secret handshake, if you will. This is not unknowable stuff. This is stuff that is very obvious to believers. Let me read you the definition of the concordance. It says, The secret counsels which govern God in dealing with the righteous, which are hidden from the ungodly and wicked men, but plain to the godly men. Get it? It's not a mystery to us, and that's what we're going to see over and over again. This is plain stuff. The wisdom of God is plain to us. It's not some weird, hidden, esoteric stuff. He says the world... For instance, the world doesn't understand the wisdom of take up your cross daily. They don't get that. I mean, the message is die every day and you'll be happy. Now, to me, that makes sense. I die every day to myself and I find myself happy. We get that. It's plain to us, but it's lost on the lost. Lost people hear that and they're like, what? The leaders of the world, the followers of worldly wisdom don't get it. Look at verse 8. It says, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, that's the quickest evidence that the wisdom of this world is leading to nothing. That it's a dead end. Think about that. The smartest rabbis, the leaders of Rome... All the leaders in that age crucified their Savior. Someone was coming to rescue them and they killed him. They crucified their rescuer. The wisest rabbis, the most mighty Romans, the most noble governors, Pilate. What did I just say? Wise, mighty, and noble. All of the great purveyors of worldly wisdom were there. And their savior came. Their rescuer came. And they killed him. Instead of a ticker tape parade, they drove him down the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, to the cross. That's not smart. (laughs) That is where worldly wisdom leads. It leads to idiocy. When you take a step back and you, and you look at it, it leads to nothing. But it makes sense, though, because when they did that, they were just following their senses. They were doing what seemed best to them. Look at verse 9. It says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Huh. How many of you have heard that verse maybe quoted at a funeral? It's a, it's a nice verse, but it's misquoted here. Meaning, if, you, if you've been taught that this verse means that God has a great uh, plan for you in heaven, well, he does, but that's not what this verse is saying. 
It is true that he has great things that we can't even comprehend. But this verse, it can't mean that we can't comprehend whatever it is he's talking about. Because look at verse 10. The very next verse says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. So he's not saying none of us can understand. He's explaining the, the futile wisdom of the world. He's saying they didn't get it. They used their eyes. They used their ears. They used their own minds and they missed it. Again, he's talking about mysterion, what used to be a mystery to us. It's still a mystery to unbelievers. It used to be a mystery to us. And he's quoting loosely Isaiah 64, 4. Isaiah 64, 4 says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, neither has the eye seen, O God, besides thee, what he has prepared for him that waiteth for him. Paul says that used to be so. It used to be that nobody had any clue what God was up to in the Old Testament. He says, but now God has revealed this wisdom to us. He's begin, begun to reveal the riches that he has for us. And he's revealed them to us through his spirit. Now, let's compare and contrast that. The, the God, the uh, wisdom of this world, it comes through the senses. Ask any scientist. All he can tell you is what he sees, what he observes. The wisdom of this world comes through the senses. I has not seen nor ear has not heard, the mind has not conceived. So the wisdom of this world comes up pretty short when it comes to the things of God. The wisdom from God, though, can only come through the Spirit. And Paul's going to continue on now and explain how this works. We're going to move a little quicker in case you were starting to get worried. He says, uh, end of verse 10, I believe, For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Verse 11, it says, Paul is explaining. He says, this is how Christians, this is how we receive the deep things of God. This is how it happens. You guys have some deep things in your life, don't you? Things that hardly anybody else knows. Maybe nobody else knows. Things that maybe only you know about. Maybe your past sins. Maybe your future dreams. Maybe your present fears. There, there are things, deep things in each of us that we either don't share or won't share or don't know how to share. There are things that nobody else really gets about us, right? The only person that really understands some of these things is you, the inner you. That's what Paul's talking about in verse 11. Look at it again. He says, or what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. He's giving us an example. He says, even so, no one knows the things of God Except the spirit of God. Just like you can't possibly know what's going on inside my head. You can't know what God is thinking unless. You ever seen Freaky Friday? 
that movie, where uh, the mom and the teenage daughter, they switch bodies, they switch inner bodies, whatever it is. Their inner selves, right, their minds are switched out with their, each other's bodies. At the end of the movie, they get it. They understand what each other was thinking. What if you could have a mind transplant, a spirit transplant from God? Now, of course, he would never want yours. But what if you could have part of his? Look at verse 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You get it? Paul says, allow me some artistic license here, that what Jesus did on Good Friday made possible a freaky Friday of sorts. That we mere mortals who were born with the spirit of the world, that it's possible that we receive a little bit of the spirit of God. It's called the Holy Spirit. To a limited degree, the mind of God we can have. We can begin to finally understand all of the riches, it says here, that he's freely given us. Now notice, end of verse 12, that these riches have already been freely given to us. When you were, when you were born again, you were given great riches. But it seems here, Paul says... We have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things we have already been freely given. Basically, Paul says, if you really want to understand, enjoy, employ all the things that God has given you, you need to understand them spiritually through the spirit. Let me explain it another way. It's like getting for Christmas a PlayStation 3 but having no idea what you have in your hand. You have no idea how to run this thing. You, you don't know if it's worth a dollar or $300. And then the creator of the thing, the PlayStation 3, comes to your house and he gives you a part of his brain power. He gives you a mind meld, if you will. And suddenly now you understand what you have. You understand how it works. You understand how you can enjoy it. You can even understand how its creator intended you to use it. So here's an application. What gifts are lying under your spiritual tree? They've already been given to you. Could it be that you have no idea what you possess? You have no idea the joy that it could bring you, the joy that it could bring others, the joy it could bring your father who gave it to you if you really understood it and used it the way he wants you to. What's the solution? Seek the mind of God. Ask for his wisdom to come to bear on the gifts that he's brought into your life. Look at verse 13 now. Verse 13 says, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Paul says, 
Even now, Paul says, when he's writing this, he says, I'm not using the latest poem. I'm not using some philosophical argument. I'm not using the rules of debate or of logic. As a matter of fact, Paul says here, Christian wisdom, the kind that he's talking about, is so high that we can compare spiritual with spiritual. You know how hard that is? You know how elevated that is? Here's what I mean. With unbelievers... The only way that you can make any headway with people who don't get it, the only way you can make any headway with them is to compare spiritual things with physical things. Right? Jesus had to do it all the time. They're called parables. Jesus would say, okay, you guys, you don't get this, so let me say it this way. And he would compare spiritual things to physical. The parable of the seed, the sower, the parable of the lost sheep over and over again Jesus would use parables. Jesus had to use this. He got, let me almost, I don't know sure if this is the right way to say it, so forgive me, but I almost wonder if he got irritated with Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus was supposed to be a really, really smart teacher. And he was. He was one of the brightest teachers around. But you guys know the story. John chapter 3, in verse 12. Jesus ends up saying to Nicodemus, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? What he's saying is, all right, I've already broken it down for you in physical terms and you're not getting it. See, elementary Christian wisdom compares spiritual things with earthly things. But Paul here is now saying mature Christians can compare spiritual things with spiritual things. That's not easy. But I think you guys will agree it, it's, it happens. Here's what I mean. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. Because you're comparing spiritual things with spiritual. It's hard to explain to people, but it's true. For instance, there'll be times when, we're te when I'm teaching and I'll say, Hey, you guys remember when we learned in Galatians this spiritual principle? We can apply it here. Comparing spiritual with spiritual. You remember what we learned in Thessalonians. We can apply it here. It's called building truth upon truth, line upon line. And what happens? You become mature. See, Paul's talking about advanced wisdom here. This is for mature audiences only. We don't always have to compare heavenly things to earthly things to get it. We don't always have to do that to understand. We can, as we mature, begin to compare spiritual things with spiritual that is advanced godly wisdom. And it only happens when you report to class with the Holy Spirit. It says here that the Holy Spirit is the teacher. If you report to class regularly, you will find this wisdom where you can relate spiritual things to spiritual things. Contrast this high wisdom now that we're talking about with the wisdom of the natural man in verse 14. Remember, we're comparing and contrasting. Verse 14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. See, verse 12 says that we receive that we might know. But in contrast here, it says the natural man does not receive, he cannot know. Why? Well, to, to know, you have to receive because they are spiritually discerned. See, it starts with receiving. See, the problem with the unbeliever, 
with the natural man is that he has no receiver. You guys know there are radio waves going through this room right now. There are pictures going through this room right now. Television, satellite, images, all sorts of stuff going through this room right now. Why don't we hear them or see them? We don't have a receiver. If we had the right receiver, we would receive them. When you were born again, you received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. You received the mind of Christ, if you will. You received the receiver. You received the antenna. Is it making sense? To now, all of a sudden, now you can receive things of the Spirit. And you go, oh, I get it. The unbeliever has no receiver. It's foolishness. It's static. It's a garbled feed. It's un- unintelligible. That's why some of you, I've talked with some of you recently, some of you have very, very intelligent friends or family members that look at you as though you have thrown your brain away. They're like, you can't possibly believe that stuff. It's because they don't have that receiver. But you've seen it with your own eyes. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But there is an important point here for the Christian. Because we can look at that and go, well, at least I got the receiver. There's an important point here for the immature Christian. Remember the two words, receive and know. See, every Christian has a receiver. But not every Christian decides to tune in. The ones that tune in, they grow and they get mature. I thought of it this way. You guys heard that uh, right now there's a push for uh, blind from from the from the the coalition for the blind um, to make paper currency distinguishable. Right now, I mean, a hundred dollar bill, a five dollar bill, ten dollar bill. They all feel the same. They all the same dimension. That's a problem if you're blind. You hold a bill and you don't know if you have a dollar or a hundred dollars. A blind person might hold in their hand a thousand dollars and have someone tell them, oh, that's a ten dollar bill. That describes, I think, many Christians. See, it's one thing to possess the riches that have already been given you in Christ. It's another thing to know what you've got. Mature believers turn their receivers on. They tune in and they, they start to understand this is what I've got. And this is what God wants me to do. This is how he wants me to spend this wealth that he's given me. So we're comparing and contrasting, right? The natural man has no hardware to receive, let alone to know what he's got. Because he doesn't have it. The spiritual man, though, verse 15 says, But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. New Living Translation makes this easy to understand. He, we who have the Spirit understand these things, but others can't understand us at all. Yeah, 
I can relate to that. It means we can start, we can delve into this great wisdom of God and we can start to go, oh, I get it. I get it. But people look at us and they don't understand us at all. We can understand lots, but people don't understand us. That sort of sums up the Christian experience. We have the, in your hands, you have the letter from your creator. And his spirit helps you decode it, if you will. And that puts us in an odd position. Think about it. We understand things, but we are all often misunderstood. Let me give you an instance. For instance, it's the holiday season. You see a sign that says, peace on earth. The Christmas greeting. That means something different to you than it means to the world around you. Worldly wisdom says, peace on earth. That's an anti-war statement. That's, there needs to be no more war. But the wisdom of God, the wisdom from God, isn't talking about that at all. It's saying Jesus himself is peace. And he has come to earth. The Prince of Peace has come down to earth. That's why... We're oddballs. We hear peace on earth. Someone else hears peace on earth and we hear two different things. And we stand back and we get it. But they look at us and go, you guys are kooks. We've experienced verse 15. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Why is it the world can't understand you as a Christian? I mean, you get it, but the people that are looking at you don't get it. Well, welcome to Jesus' world. John 1, verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Darkness didn't get it. Don't be surprised when people don't get you. They didn't get Jesus. Verse 16, it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? That's from Isaiah 40, 13. He says, But we have the mind of Christ. One last contrast for you there. The, mat, the natural man has no chance, no hope of understanding the mind of Christ without being born again. That's why it was the very first thing Jesus cut to the chase with Nicodemus. He said, We've got to be born again. The natural man has no hope of understanding the mind of Christ without being born again. But we have the mind of Christ, a mind meld, if you will. Not completely. Now we know that. Man, if I actually had the mind of Christ, how much better would I be? The Bible says that we see dimly right now. as like, like looking in a dark glass. But we do see enough to get it. But one day, at the next advent, the next time he comes, we will see him face to face. Then we will really know the riches that we have in him and the wisdom that he's given to us.